the Has Been Hoops podcast, now brought to you by Hoop City, Australia's number one training facility. If you want to raise your game, visit the team at hoopcity.com.au to find your nearest location. Wertho, it's been a while and plenty's been happening. What's going on? Yeah, no, it's been a... We've, we had a little hiatus here, and, but we've allowed a, a fair bit of basketball content to actually happen. So it's actually good to actually sit down and go through everything that's been happening, not only uh, in the NBA, but the NBL and the free agency and uh, even across in Europe with, uh, with Dante Exum. Let, let's start there. Um, I think everyone by now has seen... The footage of Dante standing off to the side of what was becoming a brawl uh, in the Euro League final that he was playing in and essentially got slam tackled into the ground, ended up leaving the stadium on crutches. And there's been a lot said about the, the, the five-game penalty for the player, and I haven't even bothered to learn his name because he doesn't deserve to be mentioned. But um, before I let you go at this one... Um, it's been really interesting. I found myself in a room with a number of retired AFL players who are part of the class action suing the AFL for damage at their brains and concussion and what we know we now know about concussion over the years. And clearly it's very easy to see their point of view. The part that's missing from that and the part that's missing from this, in my opinion, with Dante, is where's the, where is the consequence for the players? When's an AFL player going to come out and sue another player for hitting him behind the play? It wasn't the AFL that King hit these guys behind the play. It was the AFL who maybe allowed them to come back a little easier. But you hear stories of these guys who are in one breath suing the league and in their next breath, laughing at how well they now get along with Robert Dippier Domenico who took him out behind the play. Where's the, where's the consequence for the players who cheap shot other players and where's the consequence? What I'm getting to in a situation like that that has nothing to do with the contest, absolutely nothing to do with the contest, I think that player should be just as liable for injuries as what the person who hit Harry Froling off the basketball court was. Dante Exum should be able to sue this guy. If he's out, if he, if he in years to come sustains an injury, if in the AFL there's an action that isn't involved in the play, and I know we need to protect players, and I've spoken to a lot of ex-police officers about the, the contract that the player enters into that they may get injured in the contest. That's not the contest. You, you, I just think that five-game penalty was extraordinarily light. Uh, there's got to professional sport, local sport needs to find a way for acts like that to be punishable by law, not just by suspension. Go. Uh, it was difficult to watch, first and foremost. And for someone like Dante, who has experienced uh, extraordinary amount of bad luck when it comes to injuries, um, to now have, I believe he broke his big toe is what happened in the contest uh, and now looks like, you know, potentially been out for a while with, with that. Is he liable to be sued? Look, I think there would be grounds for it. I don't think that this would be the case. Um, but maybe not this one. Maybe not this one. But what if no, it was his head that correct. it hit the yeah. floor and knocked him out? So, so even maybe forget the, the result for yeah. a minute. And I, I guess the AFL is going through something like this at the moment where now they're starting to look at the action, not the result of the action when it comes to the dump tackles, sling tackles and, and stuff like that. Was five games a disappointment? Yes, it was. What's even more disappointing is that that only uh, refers to EuroLeague games, not the actual rest of the competition, he suited up last night. From when we recorded this podcast, yeah. he, he, he suited up last night and hadn't actually missed a game as, a, as we speak for his actions. Um, as a basketball player, we get into heated situations. There's, there's moments that we've thrown elbows, uh, pushed, grabbed people's jerseys, 
uh, get into these sort of melees. Um, what we saw was Dante, like you said, off to the side, not really a part of it, uh, and ragdolled uh, into the ground where he could have quite easily gone head first and had a lot more serious situation um, on our hands. Uh, it was cowardly, it was gutless, and there's no room for that in our game. And, you know, uh, you've played in Europe, I've played in Europe. Um, I'm sure, and I, I think I was reading something this morning earlier about the level of security for the next game between these two teams is going to be extraordinary. Uh, it's extraordinary already at any partisan game, regardless who who's coming into uh, to play there. But um, all I can express is just disappointment of the outcome because it should have been more severe and, and we need to be able to look after players and players not feel like that they're, they're, they are at risk by playing a game of basketball. There is, there is, issue, there is injuries that happen that are unavoidable, unavoidable for the most part, but actions like that are avoidable and there should be a punishment that fits that sort of action. I think there's a lot more to, to play out in this space. It's going to be really interesting, and the AFL tends to be at the forefront. It'll be interesting to see where they end up taking this conversation. Um, just one that slid in last night. It wasn't in our run sheet yesterday, but we, we've spoken when we jumped to the NBL and probably Australian yes. basketball and the roster builds that are going on um, around the NBL at the moment. Um, have it on very good authority that Ryan Brockhoff's retiring. Um, which will certainly impact the southeast Melbourne Phoenix. Um, hasn't quite got his body right, and you know the Phoenix's record with Ryan Brockoff in the lineup has actually been outstanding in the years he's been back. Uh, when he's out, that lack of balance within the group, the lack of a perimeter threat, the lack of leadership on the floor um, has hurt them. Um, we're expecting him to, to announce his retirement uh, soon, and the Phoenix are going to have to find a very suitable replacement uh, for him. Uh, your thoughts on, of course, if that is to be confirmed in the next couple of weeks, uh, your thoughts on Brockoff and your thoughts on the yeah. whole that leave the Phoenix? Just to peel the curtain back a little bit, we, we share notes, and when I saw this on it, I was shocked was my initial reaction to it because I still feel like he's got a couple of years to play. Um, let me touch on Ryan as a person first. Uh, outstanding. One of the better blokes you'll ever meet. Nice. Always uh, one of the first people to put their hand out to welcome you with a handshake no matter how long it's been. Um, he's always been super courteous and, and very respectful and I know he has a good voice in that Phoenix locker room. Ryan, as a player, probably ex exceeded anyone's expectations of his uh, rise to get to the NBA and uh, to be able to make himself a knockdown shooter uh, and a, a very good knockdown shooter at an NBA level. Um, I was super happy for him. The one thing that's let him down has been injuries in the last couple of years since coming back to the NBL uh, and just not being able to get right. You, you spoke about the few things that he does bring to the court. I think one of the best things that he brought to the court was a rebounding guard um, who was capable of getting you, you know, between 10 and 15 rebounds from a, from a wing spot, uh, which is really invaluable. His shot was starting to look better this this past season he looked more comfortable in his role than he, what he's looked so far and um if this is his retirement um i wish him all the best but every part of me screams that i think that he could still play another year or two i agree he couldn't if it's not and uh this one's not quite spot on then Nice little compliment to give him while he's still got a little bit left in the tank. Hey, speaking of NBL free agency, uh, any thoughts yeah. in the last couple of weeks? It's uh, We're seeing different rosters, completely different rosters across multiple different teams, uh, which is exciting. Um, is it exciting or is it disappointing? You know, 
there's such a high percentage of turnover across all teams now as a fan. There's so little consistency at the moment with the players that a fan of a basketball club gets to support. So I agree it's exciting, but it's got to be a little bit disappointing too. I don't see it that way. Uh, and I don't see it that way because the same team's won the last two years and so you've got to do something different. If you don't do something different, then you're going to get the same result as what we've seen previously, which is the Kings winning again. And kudos to the Kings for what they're able to do uh, with their imports and and um, and whatnot. But when I look at it, you know, Melbourne United have obviously made a huge change in the way that they go about what they've recruited uh, over this uh, past month. Um, Brisbane have sought their their point guard position, which is Shannon Scott next to Nathan Soby. I think that's important for for Brisbane for for the pure, pure point, point guard, guard element uh, helps. and Shannon Scott, who played that role to a T last year with Cairns. I think he finds himself in a good position in Brisbane for the next two years. Um, Anthony Drimmick going to to the Jack Jumpers uh, gives them a, a bit more of an offensive punch. They lose Matt Kenyon, who goes to the Phoenix, um, who I think is a, another. I like what the Phoenix are doing. I do. Between Gorjock Gak going there, uh, retaining Creek and Big Source Williams, you bring in uh, a Matt Kenyon as a defensive player. Um, I, I like what they're putting together. Um, Brisbane's been solid so far in free agency. I like what Kansas is doing, if they, especially if Taron Armstrong. Cairns getting Taron Armstrong surprised me. I, I didn't see that one coming. And again, it's a credit to what the, the type of environment they've been able to build over the last couple of years under Adam Ford to entice that level of young player uh, to spend their first year or two mm -hmm. in the NBL. That's a massive gap. Mate. It doesn't surprise me. And then again, when I say it doesn't surprise me, um, like I, I expected Brisbane to be the front runner to pick him up. I expected Tasmania mm -hmm. to go all in to get, go get the, a local kid. Um, I expected him to earn a lot more money than what Cairns could afford. That's probably the reason it surprised me. I, I think his value is higher than I what most people I tend to agree think. with that as well, but sometimes it's the opportunity that comes with it. Uh, and I think he'll get opportunity in Cairns being a young point guard, running with a whole bunch of other young kids on the court. I think it's it's a really good fit for him there. Um, and the other one was Perth. And, and Perth have obviously had a few changes in what they're doing going forward. Uh, they bring back the Webster brothers. Uh, they, they get Ben Herschel. Uh, I know... A lot of the locals here are really hoping that Dukas gets done, um, as I'm sure Melbourne United are wanting Dukas to get done, as I'm sure Brisbane are wanting to get Dukas done as well, uh, as I'm sure Cairns <laughs> Taipans want to get Dukas done as well. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been an exciting free agency period so far. There's, there's nothing that I've gone, whoa, like I didn't see that coming. Um, but like I said from the get-go, I think teams need to make a change because Sydney have been so dominant in the last two years that they, they need to shake up rosters. We had a conversation a few months, oh, six or eight weeks ago, I suppose, about Taryn Armstrong, Josh Bannon and Kelly LaPepe. Now I'm just waiting to see where Kelly ends up. If he goes back to college or if he does end up back here, I'm still not. Have you heard anything further? Yeah, it, the chats in the NBL have definitely cooled off a little bit. Um, I think, yeah, I, I would have previously said that, you know, I thought the Phoenix would have been a good fit for him. But the fact that they've got uh, Gorjok, Reese Vague now, um, Kelly as a fifth big, uh, I, don't, I don't know where I sit with that. I don't. I think there'd be plenty more opportunities elsewhere. Um, you've got to think, you know, Sydney locked up their bench. Uh, Illawarra have gone after some backup bigs already. Um, I'm not sure where he fits now. It, it, 
maybe the extra year helps. And United, the other one United signed, and I love that they've Absolutely. gone younger. Kyle Bowen, I think Absolutely. he really helps him a lot. Um, I want to jump across just for a second. I, yeah, clearly we both listen to other podcasts and love them. And, and one of the ones I enjoy, and I love, really, and I've spoken on it a couple of times, is uh, Brad and Bod, the Brad and Body podcast. So Body Nodge and Brad Rosen and. Listened actually on the drive. I'm in Warrnambool at the moment um, to their interview of Tom Abercrombie and maybe they even listen to ours. So I just want to go on record. They made a, a comment in the middle of it a little bit offhandedly, but they were speaking about the impact that Modi Mayor had had on the breakers. And you know, every now and again, when you make historical comments, you, you've got to be held accountable a little bit. So I'm going to hold them a little bit accountable. They said that no assistant coach has ever transitioned into a head coaching role and done what Modi Mayor was able to do in his first year. You know, someone who doesn't get nearly enough credit and who did an even better Al job Westover. than what Modi Mayor did, Al Westover. He was an assistant and did his time for years and years under Lindsay Gaze. He lost Mark Bradkey, Andrew Gaze, Leonard Copeland and took a team that had not made the playoffs get, the previous year but they and get, led us Chris? to a championship. Who did they get to replace what? them? Well, they, a lot of players <laughs> stepped up and I came in, but I, I just don't, I just think you know what I've had a lot. I get a lot of credit for that. I don't think El Westover gets nearly enough credit for what he was able to do that year and allow the the older players to lead, allow the culture to change um, of any culture that had been set in stone for a long time. Um, that had been one one thing that I can say. Um, uh, having been coached by Al and being on the opposite side to Al, is when Al coached, he brought a lot of passion to the sidelines of the Melbourne Tigers uh, and he brought a lot of enthusiasm to his role. Uh, and I think you guys fed off that enthusiasm at times and whether it be, you know, a timeout and stuff like that, that was sort of foreign at that stage and a coach would be that pumped up by a play or pumped up by the moment and and Al had that in in droves at the end of the day so kudos to Al that is the one consistent thing he has with Modi as well I think you see the same thing there before we get off the NBL you know over the last few weeks we've we've thrown some random and interesting questions at a wall and we never know which ones are going to stick um I've followed clearly college basketball for a long time, both the men's and women's side. And we watched this year's women's NCAA tournament play out. And it was the most highly watched uh, tournament in history. And I think everybody in the basketball world was incredibly impressed with what Caitlin Clark was able to do. And the fact that there haven't been that many female players historically that are able to create their own shot and play make like she has demonstrated the ability to do. Um, so my question, given how young Caitlin Clark is and speaking in an absolute sense of every now and again, somebody comes along that can do something historical, globally historical. Is Caitlin Clark good enough to take a next star spot in the NBL and play in a professional men's league in any capacity? I will start off by saying that I believe we had a similar conversation a couple of years ago about Lauren Jackson. And if Lauren Jackson was capable of playing at an NBL level, and I think we both agreed that she could. Yes. The difference between Lauren and Caitlin is Lauren was established by this stage as a WNBA, well, the best player in the WNBA. Uh, and she had the physicality to be able to play against some of the guys at that stage. Caitlin is obviously of a slighter frame, younger, and yet to prove anything on a world stage. Yeah. So do I think it's possible? Yes, it is. Do I think Caitlin Clark is the right person? No, I don't. And 
if I don't think the next stars program is the right program, it'd be someone established. Now, on top of all of that, there is more conversations to be had about they play a different size ball than what so she'd be playing with a size seven ball versus a size six ball. And how does that affect her dribbling, shooting going forward? It would take time to adapt. Um, she'd be playing against guys and her best ability we saw during March Madness was her ability to create space and be able to make a shot. Uh, that might not be there at the next level, especially at an NBL level where you've got defenders. Imagine her trying to make a move on Shagili, for example. It, it just wouldn't wouldn't happen. There's a lot of male players in the NBL I say the same Correct. thing about too. Uh, so my point is, do I think Caitlin Clark could play NBL? No, I don't. Do I think someone like Lauren Jackson, when she was coming off her MVPs in the WNBA, could play? Yes, I do. So, so, so backtrack it a little bit. I, I just want to stick on this for a second because I agree Caitlin Clark might not be the person now. She's young. But one thing that we've both always believed is to figure out what you're capable of. You need to find a position where you're not the best basketball player on the court. Now, Caitlin clearly would not be that. Or let's call it any female player who became the first to play in a male league. But by putting yourself in that environment every day and by that becoming your normal, there's been so much talk about transitioning male to fe- uh, males to females playing in women's. We haven't had this conversation about the highest quality female players taking a step to play in male sport. I, I don't think anyone realistically thought Becky Hammond was a genuine chance to coach an NBA team even a decade ago. Now it's a genuine possibility there's got to come a time and I'd love to see the very first female player put their hand up and say you know what I'm going to go from being one of the absolute very best in the world at my craft and become someone who battles to earn minutes and isn't quite there yet to lead the way for others after me and I think I disagree with you a little bit about Caitlin because the fact that she can create her own shot on the perimeter, has her step-back game, has her flight game, and can at some level avoid that physicality, if she can if she can improve that strength and her foot speed, geez, geez, I'd be excited to see no, her have I think a go. I would be excited to see someone and how it would transition at the end of the day. My, my pure point is I just don't think she's the right person for it. I'd love to see it. I've already said that. I think Lauren can do it or could have done it. Um, and it would have been cool to see uh, uh, a league actually take the risk of actually agreeing to it at the end of the day. So Maybe we'll come up with some names that we think could possibly uh, compete in a later episode. Hey, um, as we transition into the NBA, uh time for our Hoop City Raise Your Game segment. We're going to nominate a player who has raised his or her game. Look, at this time of year, it's not someone who needs to raise theirs and get into Hoop City. I've got two nominations for you. And unless you've got a third one, we're going with these. Steph Curry overnight, as we record this, just dropped 50 points in a game seven to get over the Sacramento Kings. I watched. I didn't get up to watch the game. I saw the highlights. I heard his comments. I saw him trash talking. Talk about people who should be in a conversation for one of the greatest of all time, who still finds himself on that second tier. Steph Curry is incredible, and that game was an absolute exclamation point to what we know he's capable of doing on the biggest stage. So Steph Curry is our first nomination. Our second nomination and one, to be honest, this is the toughest one I think we've had to decide between is Jimmy Butler. The 50-plus point game he had in my... I've never seen... Oh, look, I probably have, but in real time, I watched the shot making that he was able to create to score those... Six. What did it end up being? 53, 50, 56 as a number eight seed to get over Milwaukee and then going back it up to eliminate them in Milwaukee with another big game. My two nominations 
were though, and I'm letting you have the vote for this um, for our Hoop City Raise Your Game segment. Steph well, Curry, silly to give it Jimmy to me because you know exactly who I'm going to say, and it's part of the Zombie Heat crew and Jimmy Butler. Um, I think we were both messaging each other during those games, and it was the first word that just came out was just wow, wow, um, wow. Now they threw everything at Jimmy. They had Drew Holiday, who's known as one of the best defenders, on him. They put Giannis on him. They, he was just making some incredible shots. And not only was he making incredible shots, he was doing it at his pace. He made the game. It didn't look like he was forcing anything in that game, in those, that series. It didn't look like he was forcing anything. Yes, Steph had 50 in a closeout game in the game seven. That's incredible. But Jimmy Butler for that series uh, and uh, 25 points on a rolled ankle in game one versus the Knicks today, uh, he is our Hoop City Raise Your Game winner. I agree. Well done. Um, Look, let's move to the NBA. Um, And I want to start, before we get into a, a, a short conversation about each series that's been completed so far, most of the individual awards have been handed out and I don't think there's anything too controversial with any of the winners. So other people have spoken about that. We'll leave that alone. But as we record this, the MVP has not been awarded yet. Um, it's gone down off all uh, betting agencies. So I'm going to assume that means they've decided who the winner is. And the more I think about it, I think they're going to give the award to a player who doesn't deserve it this year. I think Joel Embiid wins MVP this year, not because he's had the best year in the NBA. I just don't think the voters want to give a third MVP to Giannis or Jokic and put one of those two players into historical greatness conversations. I think too much emphasis goes on to comparing, say, Giannis or Jokic's season to another year where they won an MVP or didn't instead of exclusively comparing this season's performance to another player's performance this season only. That's what this award has to be now. For me, I think Embiid probably comes third out of those three players. But the more I think about it, I can't for the life of me imagine that they're not going, that the voters will not award MVP to Joel Embiid and give him his first MVP and say so do you think Jokic should win or do you think Giannis should win? I think Jokic should win. I, I think his all-round play, his ability to lead a team to a number Rest. one seed in the East, his consistency across multiple skills on the offensive end, clearly defensively he's not what Giannis is. And that's why it is really, really tricky to then say it's not Giannis, led his team to a number one seed, just as great on both ends of the floor. And I flip between those two so often. Um, For me, Embiid takes so many possessions off on both ends of the floor, has so many games where he's not a most valuable player. The other two for me, you know what, it's as close to a tie as I can remember in recent history. But I think there's a gap between them, yeah, those was, two and MB. Uh, Who would you vote for? Knowing what I know now, which is Miami beating Milwaukee, and, and that, leading you know, into in the it, I would have said that Giannis is yeah, still the best player in the league. Right. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that he was the best player. He led his team to the best record in the, in the entire of the NBA this year. He was the best player. He would have been my number one pick. The only thing that is the difference in this whole conversation is the narrative. And and that that's it, essentially. They don't want to give Jokic three in a row because that really puts him in an, uh, another stratosphere as far as people that have ever won three in a row. Uh, and they don't want to give it to Giannis because he's already won two. And they feel like Embiid needs his flowers too while he's still playing good basketball. Um, similar probably to when... Giannis won it when Harden was probably the MVP that season. Uh, like, it is all built around NBA 
journalist narrative now more than it is the actual gameplay. Now, if you were to ask me, there there is no real huge difference between Giannis, Embiid and Jokic at the end of the day. If you had one of those guys on your team, you'd be pretty bloody happy. Um, I would have said Giannis was my favourite and should have won it. Uh, however, there is no wrong choice. It's great that we're speaking about three bigs, not so many years after yeah. everybody thought bigs were dead. Um, we ran a poll on our on our, uh, on our Twitter page, and if you're not following it, jump on at Has Been Hoops and be a part of some of these polls. But we asked the exact same question, but all we, the only two we gave you the choice of was if you were to start a franchise today and could have one of Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid, who would you pick? Pretty simple question. 89% of the vote said Nikola Jokic. I think that's, for me, that's an accurate representation of where they are this year as well as over the last five. Um, let's get into the play-in results. Uh, in no particular orders, your thoughts on the Lakers defeating Memphis? glad you started with this because I've got a bit to say. Um, okay. Dylan Brooks. Now... <laughs> Now, you and I are both not strangers to not being the good guy. We've been the bad guy. We've been the bad guy in a series. We've been a bad guy in a season. We've been the bad guy that every team loves to boo. And, you know, depending on where you've played, swung on by security guards, spat on and whatnot. There's nothing wrong with being the bad guy. I know it's not for everyone. And not everyone can be the bad guy. Um, but when you're the bad guy, sometimes you lose. And it's how you lose being the bad guy that makes a difference. It's how you play when you're the bad guy. If you want to be the person that comes out and speaks about poking bears, you you make sure that you're the person that is out there that's still poking that bear when the bear's playing well. Um, this is why he needs to just pick up all his shit move to Houston and start again because uh, none of his teammates in Memphis, no matter how much they liked him during the season, are going to go, thanks, mate. You poked the bear, and if you're going to try and take out the king, you you want a hit. And they were far from a hit. They uh, He choked. Uh, Memphis choked. And yes, they had some injuries, so it's hard It's hard to say that they actually did choke. But if you're going to come out with some big statements, and this is not the first time that they've come out with some big statements versus championship pedigree teams. They've been with it at the Warriors all, all season. And they couldn't even make the crossover with the Warriors. And then they start doing this during the series with, with LeBron. Silly man, silly man. Um that's what I've got to say about Memphis. Uh, it, was, it, it was fun to watch the Lakers at a level that neither you nor I nor many people thought they'd get to. It was great to see Anthony Davis impacting the last couple of games like we know he can on both ends of the floor. And look, for me, we'll have more to say about the Lakers, but Austin Reeves continues to impress no matter what the situation for the, for the Grizzlies. You know, Jar Morant with the hand injury clearly didn't help. Stephen Adams Brandon was Clark. missed. Um, I think we've a lot of people have overlooked that. But I look forward to seeing if Jar Morant can add a couple of strings to his bow. He needs a mid-range game. It can't just be the float game or the three. Um, if he can start adding that into his repertoire, a la Chris Paul, along those lines, I think they become a very different team and also just an elimination of those, his own personal distractions that clearly were an issue as well as this one ended up. Um, you mentioned the Warriors. We've already mentioned Steph Curry's 50-point game in Game 7 to get the defending champions over a team that may have been more impressive in the strides they took this year than any other team in the NBA. Your thoughts on the Warriors, King? It's everything that I thought it would be. Like out of every series that you looked up on in the first round, you thought that this one might be the one that goes to game seven. So 
uh, it was everything that was supposed to be. And, you know, the Warriors getting over the top thanks to a Herculean effort by Steph in Game 7 um, is probably about right. Uh, no shame in Sacramento and what they've been able to do this year and, and, and the steps that they've taken as an organisation has been massive under Mike Brown. Um, they do have a good young core uh, that they can build on from here. Um, but the difference between them and a Memphis is they just do the work and they don't talk about it. There, there doesn't seem to be those off-court distractions. They're going to be fine in the next couple of years. They've been an exciting team to watch and follow. The Warriors, even though they get past this, the thing that concerns me is the faith in Jordan Poole. Uh, he's not that guy. Uh, and be it's going to be an interesting matchup, obviously, the next, the next one between the Lakers. And the Lakers did bring in some defensive guys at the trade deadline. And they're going to need those defensive guys versus the Clays, the Stephs going forward. Uh, Kevon Looney is going to be huge in the next one and has been already when it comes to matching up on Anthony Davis. Just one final point on the Kings is that it's it's rare that a trade happens that a lot of people shake their head at. But when you reflect on it, both teams had a big win. And I think that's exactly what the DeMantis, Sabonis, Tyrese, Halliburton trade has eventually become. And I know Indiana are wrapped to have Halliburton as one of the figureheads of their rebuild and, you know, the ability to put Sabonis alongside uh, De'Aaron Fox. I just thought we saw another level of De'Aaron Fox that we hadn't seen since he came into the league. So, yeah, you're right. Credit to them and uh, can't wait for this Warriors-Lakers series. And Clay Thompson was actually on record overnight, I believe, as saying he's waited 12 years to play the Lakers in a playoff series. Good. So I, I can't wait. Um the New York Knicks got over the Cleveland Cleveland Cavs and it was built a lot. A lot was made of the Donovan Mitchell storyline. Um, a lot was made of the Knicks not getting him. Um, I've been reasonably fortunate to be privy to the offer that the Knicks made and it was fantastic. But at the same time, they didn't want to throw everything at a player when they had a higher opinion on Jalen Brunson than what many did. They, they'd rather save it for the next season, which is what they've done. So clearly my personal history with Leon Rose, the second that they got that game done, I was messaging saying how happy I was for him and the choices that they made not to throw everything at Donovan Mitchell and almost to be uh, justified in now in that decision and, and the rebuild and the culture that they're creating. Now, they've gone one down against Miami, so let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, but... I just thought the Knicks was the Knicks was super impressive. I thought Thibodeau coached outstandingly well. Uh, Jalen Brunson continues to impress, and uh, for a team that when when I watched them in person late last year in November and December, the conversation was around: Are they good? You know, whereabouts in the play-in do they fit? Um, it wasn't about reaching the playoffs. It certainly wasn't about winning around. So the transformation of that team in the second half of the season yeah. has been incredible. Uh, another series that we spoke at length about on, on text uh, with our, our mate Jamie Stabe as well. Um, this one purely came down to Thibs out-coaching Bickerstaff for me. Uh, obviously, the Knicks were riding that high of Madison Square Garden being rocking during a playoff series, which is, it's cool. Like that, that environment outside of Sacramento, probably the, the two most exciting environments to, to even watch a game on the TV, just seeing the crowds go off there. Um, but Thibs just had the answers in that series for me. And nothing Cleveland tried or showed that they could do were effective. And, and, and New York's defense, especially Josh Hart going into that rotation late in the series, I think that might be a blessing in disguise, really, um, going forward, because I think they play a lot better with Josh Hart and the team at the end of the day. They are one down versus Miami, but full credit to Thibs and the way that he coached that series. 
Julius Randle did miss that first game. And so tell me more about those zombie heat. Jimmy Butler and those zombie what, heat. What more do you want to know? They are uh, they just they lose uh, Tyler Hero, they lose Victor Oladipo, and yet as an eight seed that lost their first play in game, they're still they're still going to work and, and uh once again, Spolstra, great coach. He's got his guys playing the right type of basketball. Having people like uh, uh, Duncan Robinson, who's hardly played this year, they've, they've signed him to this massive contract. They've sat him on the bench for the majority of the year, and he comes in, what, in game four versus Milwaukee, I think. Hits five threes. Like, they just have... Shooters, shooters are so valuable in the playoffs. When the ball's yep. in your star's hands more often, shooters become Absolutely. increasingly and, uh, valuable. Which is why, just on a side note, it's why Patty Mills deserves to be on a team that's not named the Brooklyn Nets. I can see that role for Patty moving forward. Yeah, Keep going. You, I agree. And the Heat are looking good. Like, there's, I don't see... New York getting past Miami. Like, isn't that an incredible thing to say for a number eight seed who came came in through the plane that yeah. they're going into a conference and then semifinal? You look at the other side of the bracket, which I know we'll get to, but I know Boston were shitting themselves if they had to play Miami in the first round. They might have to play them in the Eastern Conference Final. That's even funnier. That. Miami's had the wood on them all season long and they're shitting themselves. Like, that would be fantastic. Tell me about Boston defeating Atlanta. This one can be uh, quick, I think. The expected result at the end of the day. And Boston... Yeah. Okay, that, that'll do. Yeah, let, let's, deal with, let's deal with what Boston do now. The 76ers defeating Brooklyn, same deal. We're yep. expected to do it. Just did enough. Uh, Suns and Clippers. One same. thing about the Suns and Clippers... Tell me, tell me a bit more. About, tell me a bit Before more about that, Devin Booker. It's crazy to think that Russell Westbrook was not wanted a couple months ago. Outside of Devin Booker, he was probably the second best player on the court that series, uh, and it's because he competes. And once again, Kawhi and Paul George not there because of injury. Same old story with the Clippers, but. Uh, Kudos to Russell Westbrook and, and putting himself in a position. And you know what? And, I, and I'll, I'll steal this from Bill Simmons again. He's the guy that deserves to play on the Brooklyn team. Him with those young guys and the way that he plays, that would be exciting. Anyway, Devin Booker really has come into the forefront as probably the next type of Kobe Bryant player that we've seen since Kobe Bryant. Mid-range, the Suns. In that first series, 57% of their points came from the two-point, which is extremely high in today's current NBA. Uh, And Devin Booker, along with Kevin Durant, uh, provide that sort of mid-range game, and Chris Paul, for that matter, uh, that most teams don't have the luxury. Uh, Monty Williams said that Kevin Durant is a really expensive decoy at the moment uh, for... Because they were doubling him off the on-balls, which allowed Devin Booker to take that one dribble rip into the mid-game to get himself going. And uh, that's the luxury that the Suns have as a team now, that you've got to pick your poison. Sure, you might not want Kevin Durant to go for 30-plus, but if you're going to double him, that's probably going to lead to Booker on the other end, and he is just lethal in the mid-range. The team that they're now a game down against and the Denver Nuggets who comfortable enough against Minnesota. Minnesota gave them a scare the last two games. But who would have thought, and let's jump straight to the one game because I watched almost every minute, and not unlike the Jimmy Butler game, but not quite at that level, and given it was a game one, I feel like the Denver Nuggets have managed Jamal Murray's return almost perfectly. Um the Nuggets are now, as you've just described, Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. Nikola Jokic and Kevin Durant weren't the best two players on the floor that game one. They were Jamal Murray and Devin Booker. Now, 
to have four players of that caliber competing against each other in a conference semifinal was a lot of fun. But the difference between the Nuggets and, and again, perhaps the reason I, I favor Denver to get over the Suns is not only do they have the decision-making of Nikola Jokic distributing off the elbow and off the, off the post, and they've got a system that they can run around him to create open shots and he'll find his teammates open shots. They've now again got Jamal Murray, who can create and shot make as well as anyone in the NBA. And I include Devin Booker in that. What the, Some of the shots he was making when plays broke down and to win an NBA final series, a lot of it becomes what you do, but a lot of it becomes whose hands can you put the ball in when shit breaks down? That is Jamal Murray, and the Denver Nuggets have the Jamal Murray back that we saw in the bubble. What I noticed in game one of this series was that Denver ran their system harder, uh, and they ran a good system. Like when you've got Aaron uh, Gordon being backpicked and slashed to the basket, like you've got to defend that, uh, which led to Murray stepping out and being open from time to time. They, they cut harder than what Phoenix does and get into their system a lot better than what Phoenix does. Phoenix are going to respond to this and obviously we know, we know that's going to happen. The, the one thing, playoffs, we've spoken about Booker and we've spoken about Murray and we've spoken about Jokic and we've spoken about KD. Finals always comes down to role players and it's not the role players how they play on at home, it's how they play on the road. So we got good minutes out of Aaron Gordon, who is a bit more than just a, a bit player, but he shot the ball well at home. Let's see if he can shoot the ball well on the road because they, they're going to give that shot up. Uh, they got good minutes out of uh, Bruce um, Brown or Bowen. Who is it? Uh, Brown, I was right. I should have gone Brown. with my gut instincts. Yeah. They've got yeah. Browns and Greens yeah. off the bench. That's about um, it. All the but he played well. In game one, uh, KCP knocked down shots. Those are the sort of guys that are going to have to knock down shots and make plays on the road to win this series at the end of the day. And then you look at Denver's depth versus Phoenix's depth. They've got more depth than what Phoenix do. That's the, that's the key advantage and home court. I think that altitude home court advantage... Yeah, I, we won't get into predictions, but I do like uh, I do like Denver. Hey, I, I want to finish on this. It's been a long episode. There's been plenty to talk about. Mm-hmm. I want to finish on Draymond Green. You know, whatever happens with the Warriors this year, they're getting towards the end of an era. Um, Clay Thompson becomes a free agent and will no doubt want, will demand maximum salary and should get it. Draymond Green is also going to want maximum salary now especially with the distractions, the storm. We know the leadership Draymond provides in that team. We know that he's been the guy when, when Stephen Clay and this dynasty was getting up and running that physically protected the talent. Do the Warriors need Draymond Green? Is he expendable? Is he a max salary player? And I'll just start by saying I, don't th- I think he's valuable to the Warriors with his IQ. I don't think he's a maximum salary guy with the negative that comes around it, but if he was to go away from the Warriors, I think he becomes far further from a maximum salary player and a lot less beneficial to a team that doesn't know how to utilise him. Couldn't agree more. He fits the role on this team because he's got shooters around him that open up lanes for him, but also has a high IQ for him. Now, if he wasn't on the Warriors, what team could he go to that has high IQ that are in a position to pay him maximum? The answer is there is no team that exists. That, so this is the one thing about basketball that I realized probably a little bit too late. The basketball is a business. And for Draymond, if he has the opportunity to get paid, he should probably take it because whatever the Warriors are probably willing to pay for him isn't going to be the expectations of what he wants to be paid at the end of the day. I I, I agree, 
But do you honestly believe there's another team out there who would pay him more than what the Warriors are going to pay him? There are plenty of dumb NBA teams out there that throw out dumb money for players that don't deserve it. I think there is a history of players getting overpaid um, what they're deserved at different clubs. Uh, uh, Parson Chandler. But that's yep, that's all I have to say. One. There is going to be a club, and it's probably a club that sees themselves in a rebuild. You know, is it a Orlando who goes? You know, we've got a whole bunch of young kids here. We could do with a veteran experience with better IQ than what we've currently got from our vets. I don't know, but that'd be something dumb that they would do. You know, is it a Detroit? Maybe they get the number one pick and say. We, you know, Wembenyana could be really good next to a Draymond, and we're willing to pay for it now to speed up Wemby's learning curve. Someone dumb will pay for him at the end of the day. Uh, and if I'm Draymond, if they're going to pay you, you might as well do it. You're not going to win as much. He's probably going to punch a teammate again. Stupid, but, you know, yeah, I don't think he's a max player. Hey, there's plenty that's going to happen in the off-season, but for now, there are plenty of fantastic NBA playoff series that uh, I know we're spending a lot more time in front of the TV than what we did during the regular season. They're a lot of fun. Uh, for those of you who do enjoy listening here, we'd love you to follow us on socials uh, at HasBeenHoops on Twitter and on Instagram. We'd love you to like and subscribe to the podcast, however it is you're listening to this. I'm not going to tell you where to listen to it because clearly you figured that out if you're listening. Uh, but all of this as well as thanks to our friends at uh, Hoop City and the number one basketball training facility in Australia. Were though, uh, we've got a couple of Ripper interviews coming up. We've got plenty to talk about throughout these playoffs. No wonder. Thanks for joining us, no Christopher. <laughs> <laughs>